Rick Madison, Rick and Friends. Th- hey, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, today we're talking business. We're going to do a lot of business talk, and it's uh, with an international consultant. That even sounds good, Jeff. Like It, it sounds pretty cool, Rick. It does, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Like, it does. Because you've consulted across the world. I have. So yeah. give me some of the countries you've consulted with. Uh, one that really really near and dear to my heart was Croatia. Uh, had a, an amazing company there that at the time was about 100 mil, 180 million in revenue. Uh, now they're over a billion. They're considered a unicorn. Um, so that was a whole lot of fun working with them. I helped build their, I started their sales development team there. Um, helped them restructure their entire sales organization and uh, helped them just accelerate on that path. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Croatia um, is beautiful. Oh, it was absolutely beautiful in the winter and summer. Yeah. Winter is a different experience than most people see, but like there are some real gems there, uh, cool people. And man, like I literally sat on the floor of a gladiator stadium. I looked like a real one, <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting looking up and I'm going, this is an, uh, a so unique experience. And this is something in their backyard. They're looking at it from their office every day. So, so much history in Cro- history. Croatia. Oh, okay. yes. Yeah. Um, and where else? Sorry. Uh, a nice sales team out of, uh, out of France. Um, you know, I think it was Paris, uh, Paris and, um, this, they're global. So this company was global. They were serving most of Europe in different markets in different languages. So I was helping them teach a methodology that worked with different cultures and different languages for outbound selling. Um, that was so unique and different because I only know English. I can speak tourist Spanish. <laughs> you know, I can find a beer or the bathroom if I want to. But yes. uh, on the most part, like it's just a single language. But I taught them the the the, the, the idioms and the norms and the the way that you influence with your with your mind before your mouth and and like um, all those different things. And it was so intriguing watching them take what I did and my methodology, which. The words matter in English, mm-hmm. and then them change it into German, and ger- and change it into French, and change it into different languages, and still get results. So it's interesting. You were with your background. Was mm-hmm. it tougher to go to uh, France or Croatia business and and really use your ideology and try to use it for international? Like, d- does it work across borders? I guess it's, that's a really good question because um, everybody across the globe I found, especially in Europe, they want to do that American style of business. So they hire the international consultant who absolutely runs it. I'm in a in a hot uh, tech hotspot in Vancouver. That's where I was. Um, did a lot of business in San Francisco and all the different incubators around uh, North America, and so I had that good resume that they wanted. So they wanted that piece, but. Um, what I always caution them with, with my experience, uh, my first experience in Europe was Croatia. Um, but I got a really in-depth experience with them. I learned a lot about marketing there versus here. And I had to coach them on why the, what they were doing in Europe and that worked in Europe didn't work in the States. And so I would regularly have to do education on the founders and the owners and the whole executive team on, you know, people in the States don't care as much how many offices you have. Or, you know, how many markets you're in. They care about the job you're doing, the impact you're having. So they're more, they'd sooner look at uh, a bunch of customer stories than look at how many offices you have. And in Europe, very different. Um, when you're going to a conference and a trade show, you see um, the actual backdrops and very similar. It's about the stats, offices, mm. customers, all that stuff. And that was really important. And then you go to the States and you see impact, <laughs> right? It's just a very different thing mentality so um it works uh what we do works globally 
They okay. just have to be educated. So across cult- cultural barriers, you do have to tweak that messaging to make sure it resonates with whoever the audience is. Because yeah. you're saying offices didn't matter or have any impact. Because I would think the States is all about just how many billions and billions are served, yes. a.k.a. McDonald's. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Straight up. And it's, it's simple messages, simple, impactful messages. That's what matters here. Okay, so it's scaling a business. Now, what I wanted to dive into, which is just an interesting discussion, because I talked to a lot of business people about how do you, how do you package up your, your business in order to make it ready for sale? Because I, I really do believe that anyone that's in business right now is maybe has a peak at the horizon and is going, man, I, I do think in 10 years or 15 years, I'm probably going to exit but a lot of companies I don't think think that far ahead or think about what they're doing currently and how to package up a business. So what are what are some thoughts or ideas around what people should think about as they're currently working on the business today? Sure. No, that's a great question, Rick. Thank you. Um, it goes back like I, I even like to look at university. I had to take two finan- uh, accounting courses in university, two very distinct uh, courses. One was management accounting. So this is just you have to run your business. You have to pay the least amount of tax and you have to you know, be as profitable as possible. So here's one way, one approach to do accounting. And then there's financial accounting for the books, for investors, for anybody going through due diligence to maybe buy or fund your company, right? And so me, uh, most of my career, I've been working with startups that go through several rounds of funding, right? Whether that's debt funding, uh, you know, investors, that kind of stuff. And so I've noticed that the due diligence process process is one of the hardest things for most founders because they're going so fast. They're going rapidly, Mm -hmm. just trying to keep up with the market, just trying to do whatever they can to put money in their jeans and, and to, you know, hire the right people and keep the best people and all that stuff. They're not sitting there thinking about those books. Right. And nor should they, you know, when you got to grow, you got to (laughs) grow. Right. But then when you get that investor who wants to, you know, pop $2 million down on your business and really bet on you for your future or buy your business for, you know, $5 million, what have you, um, then you realize you have to look at your books again and you say, okay, now I have to do things in a little different. I have to really understand the accounting principles, you know, gap, uh, for those who don't know, generally account, like, uh, I don't even, never mind, <laughs> you know, um, uh, all that kind of stuff. And it's not just accounting, right? It's not just your finance and accounting, but it's also your legal, um, or is your legal structure set up? Do you have, um, something that can be easily sold? right? Um, asset, is it an asset share? Is it a, uh, is it shares like you're selling? So you're saying that there's different kinds of accounting according to what you're looking at doing with your business. Yes. Okay. So if you're, if your future involves, okay, I'm going to sell this business in five years, you actually start working towards that with your accounting, especially. Yeah. And I don't want to single out accounting and saying that's the most important, but that's just one that is so crystal clear, uh, cut and dry. What oh, I find. That would be the, the lifeblood of a business. It, it is. It really is. Like, cause you could do your accounting in one way that says your business is really profitable and then you do it in the generally accepted way. And you find out that you've actually had a loss for three years in a row and you've been funding it, not knowing or, or things like that. Right. So there's true, what, what I would call, uh, I, you know, I helped uh, with a charity and, and they weren't doing true cost accounting, which was how much do pulling all of the employees over to this event actually cost. And and once you start working through the, uh, you know, the HR side, you fundamentally found out you were making a lot of money at all. But there's profile 
which is goodwill and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that would be an interesting, so is there a, a set system for somebody looking to sell their business? Like is, is, is there such a thing? I wouldn't say a set system because every business is unique. Every every business has different purposes, um, that kind of thing. Um, so I would say that uh, the best approach or guess best advice I can give is get really good experts in each uh, respective areas of your business. You know, like accounting, finance, uh, law, um, and then there's another uh, facet I want to touch on as well that's really important, and it's something that you and I were talking about before. Um, is uh, just your processes, so standard operating procedures. Um, again, when you're at the one million to two million, or even under a million revenue, you don't want to spend a lot of time on processes because you processes change, right? Well, you're just trying to figure it out. You're just trying to figure out. <laughs> you're figuring out. I call it the success formula, right? Yeah. Like you're trying to figure out what that success formula is, and that success formula changes as you grow and you scale your business. What got you from zero to one is not going to get you to one to ten. Right. And 10 plus 10 to 25 million. I, I've heard that, too, that CEOs, especially there's some that are, are really good in that initial phase. Mm-hmm. And then you almost have to get another one for that next because there's more investor group financing. And, and you know, there there's fundamentally more skill sets involved with scale. Yeah. And, and that's the interesting part for me is what may get you to that one million or five million yep. may not get you to 10, 50 that, and that's exactly it. And that's why a lot of th- a lot of times you see leadership changes as like bigger investment groups come in um, because somebody who's, you know, scrappy and uh, just really passionate about everything and is the best spokesperson for the company. That's really important at zero to one. It's still important at one to ten. But once you hit over that 10 million mark, now you have to start looking at proper standard operating procedures. You have to start looking at hiring people that have way more experience than you as the CEO. Um, and in the case of business finders, where we actually sell businesses, uh, it, it's it's at the point where okay, when you're at 10 million, you as the CEO, do you want to do that next phase, or would you rather take that passion and excitement, put it into a new project, um, or just retire? Because a lot of people want to retire, mm-hmm. right? Um, but uh, what what I find is that working at these different stages of organizations, um, and I'll tell you, the Croatian company I was talking about 180 mil. That ran like a one to ten. Really? It did. They were scrappy. They were they just looked at it as like their slogan was literally we're just getting started. So they wow. never even at a billion dollars, they still said we're just getting started. They're always scrappy. They're always that way. And was that kind of the DNA of the CEO? It was. Yeah. Because yeah. so, you often find that is whoever's leading that company, mm-hmm. their 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 essence of being kind of permeates through the whole company. Hundred percent. There was, when I was there, it was about a thousand employees. Every single one of them knew him. And that's interesting because so when he walks around, mm-hmm. he or she, I don't know, he? but uh, when he walks around, I imagine he would know people by name. He would. He would. He would. Which know. is shocking to me. Oh, he was in every decision. Um, so it was another interesting thing. I'm in Vancouver. He's in Croatia, and we would make business decisions together. And I'm used to being in the next office from the CEO, making the decisions and reporting back on what my decisions were. Mm-hmm. It was a very different style, but it worked for them. It worked very successfully. And they got, uh, I think the last raise they got was about $200 million um, from an equity firm. And, uh, and yeah, they just, their formula worked for them. So when, uh, so a little, 
I met you at the uh, the Dragon's Den premiere, mm-hmm. which I might have been a part of. <laughs> um, but what was interesting was there's there has to be a secret sauce sometimes for a company, and and knowing what that is and what what it delivers and and how impactful that is. So what was that what was that secret formula for this Croatian company in your in your eyes? Was yeah. it the CEO? I think it was their approach. Um, they were all engineers, so the leadership team was very engineer, engineering focused. They looked at problems that they needed to solve, and they happened to solve a very profitable problem. Um, and they got with businesses, like as an example, Facebook. Um, they got Facebook on a whim. Just a really good salesperson out of Vancouver went out there, cold called, got them to the table. They thought, okay, this is great to have the logo. They ended up going from $200,000 a month in revenue to over 7 million a month in revenue while I was there. Um, so just, that's, that's all you though. Oh, I mean, come on. it was absolutely me. I did it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but it was, it was amazing looking at the, the impact they could have. Um, and, and they just, uh, everything they did was very calculated decision-making. It was a, it was a group decision-making process and everybody in the room contributed and they wanted that help. Um, they called themselves humble engineers. They would ask an entry level brand new employee from South America and they would ask them for her opinion uh, for a, a project that they're working on and they would get that. They would just get so much richness to it. So well, I think that, that was fresh. Yeah, a fresh perspective can really add a lot. Mm-hmm. What, what I think is also the other side of this, the flip side is some companies go into a business thinking about exit. Yep. And it sounds like this company um, wasn't thinking about the exit plan. They were just thinking about how do we make this better? How do we make it smarter? And, and really being calculated with those decisions. Yep. And that's what I find a lot of people get hung up on is they're building it for this exit that mm-hmm. may never come. Yeah. Um, so you end up kind of handcuffing yourself in, instead of just building a business to be successful and solve a problem. Exactly. And then you might hit 8 million and cap out. Mm -hmm. You might never get past that 10 million mark. You might never get past that 100 million mark, whatever you're going for, because you're too focused on this structure, right? So I want to caution people. I I want people who are considering selling within the next five years to be thinking about these things of having the standard operating procedures, having your accounting, your books in order, getting the right legal stuff in place, making sure that you as the founder and the owner are not core to the business. Like that's another factor I didn't mention that in this business I'm talking about, if Silvio, the CEO left, that business would not exist. Wow. Like he's that integral to its success. Now I'm, I haven't been there in a couple of years. There are 3000 employees much bigger now. So that might not be the case anymore, but I suspect that his, I can feel it from the marketing that they're doing the way that uh, my former employees talk about it. It sounds to me like it's still his, his baby. Yeah, because you can be too effective. That's right. (laughs) And if he's involved in every decision, then obviously his identity is on everything. And if he is truly that magic formula and he goes away, a new buyer would be intimidated by that too. That's right. Because they're they're thinking, I I can't be this person, so I can't buy this company. Exactly. And the staff uh, feels that too, right? Like you have somebody that charismatic, that electric um, they permeate that loyalty, right? Like there's people there that I worked with, what is it, five years ago that are still there, still loyal, still in the same roles. You know, you don't see that in tech, like ever. <laughs> so going back to that that manual, 
can you do that through video or does that have to be a book like that, oh. that, that process driven book? Cause I, I've seen it. I've seen that book, uh, collect dust on a lot of business shelves and a lot of people it's, you know, it's their Bible and other people it just, they do it once and then they put it up there. Yeah. Could that live digitally? Yeah. And, um, one of my most recent clients that, um, that again is making a huge impact on the world. They're for out of Vancouver. Um, they use a thing called notion, which is just a very simple online. It's kind of like a wiki. Um, so it's an online thing and you just, when you create a process, you put it in a notion page and everybody has access to it. And so what we, we got really good at there was actually taking those things that just sit and collect dust and we keep them updated and we add to it and we can, we get everybody in the place to be collaborators on it so that if they try a process and it doesn't work, then they're able to affect that process and change it and say, this doesn't work. So let's do it this way instead. Right. And so a lot of my experience has been in sales and marketing where you do regular uh, experiments. So like I'll do an email marketing campaign and I'll do I'll test the first 200 people. I'll test with subject line needs, subject line B, and then I'll optimize it so that whichever of the A and B works best, then, you know, A ends up being for the rest of the 5000 people I'm emailing or something like that. Right. Um, so we have this methodology. I call it continuous optimization. This is one of the things I've built into organizations. Um, and so I look at it as like, you're constantly moving. SOPs are not SOPs. They're, they shouldn't be standard. They're like, I would say, uh, COP, COP, current operating procedures, <laughs> right? Or like a base level, because you always have to be testing and always growing. So when you build that culture of this constant movement, this constant change, um, in a good way, calculated, not change for change. Fluid fluid right mm. um so when you build a business that way then you have the documentation in a living document that can be changed and then you build procedures around making sure that living document is used not just a one-way street not just hey the boss says rick you have to do podcasts this way no it's okay i found out if i use this type of mic if i use like mm -hmm. you know if I, I find that if we do a prep session beforehand we have better conversations you know and you're contributing to it and then it doesn't sit there and collect dust. It becomes something that's core to what we do. Right. Well, this this podcast is brand new every single time. Yeah. <laughs> I have to retrain myself every time. Uh, so the, the outbound, and I want to touch on that email mm -hmm. marketing, because a lot of people listening to this podcast, and thank you for listening, mm -hmm. um, might be doing email marketing for their own business. Mm -hmm. Is there something that they should be cognizant of? Because you mentioned there's an A and a B, mm -hmm. but let's just pull it back even more. And let's say they have a thousand people on their email marketing list. Uh, are those people, cause I know a lot of business owners struggle with this. Mm -hmm. When do I contact them and how often do I contact them? And is there any thoughts around frequency or what you even say? Yeah. So this, um, I've, had, I've been asked that question a lot and I've annoyed the crap out of my uh, hosts and saying it depends <laughs> um, because what's really, really important is understanding your audience. So when you have an email list of a thousand people, you're going to see how many people open, how many people click, how many people share, depending on your program that you have, right? What I recommend is you take that data and you look at it across all the channels that you're marketing. So if you're looking at, uh, you know, do so social media, email, live events, all these things. What you want to do is learn the actual consumer behavior of the people on your list, okay? And how that behavior permeates in those different channels, okay? So you can A-B test, as an example, 
Um, I went to the Mamas for Mamas Gala on uh, like recently, mm-hmm. and I was, in all honesty, testing my story, because I'm making a career shift. I'm I'm changing my market, changing what I'm doing, and I was testing with people different phrases that I would say, how I describe myself, and how I describe what I'm doing, and the impact that I have on my customers. Right. Because right. I have a lot of experience that's going to be helpful. But I'm buying and selling businesses now. I'm not helping them grow in the same capacity I was, not with the same level of focus. So now I'm telling a whole different story. So what I do is I try to test just like I'll, I'll, I'll say to one group of people this origin story. I'll say to another group of people this origin story. And I'll notice the body language. I like it more in person because you can see body language. You can see all the nuances. Yeah. You know, if people's like, if they start, when you say something and they start to turn towards you, you Mm -hmm. know, their shoulders are pointed at you, that kind of thing. Um, That's the phrase I kind of workshop more. And so I'll recognize that, okay, I said these five words. When I said these two words, Mm -hmm. everybody's ears perked up. All of a sudden I had people edge of their seat, ask asking me more and so i'd say okay these are the two important words there and then i would use those words as a subject line in the email if you were standing just off to the side and mm-hmm. i heard you say open bar i would probably turn towards you 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. those are two words that work <laughs> but, but it is interesting though how a lot of people don't understand the anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. of sitting and having a conversation with somebody and just seeing what words would resonate, which ones, you know, they seem to perk up on. Yeah. And and you're right. I, I think there's something to be said for that evidence. But when you're talking about email marketing, mm-hmm. so I guess you would want a sample size before you went broad stroke. So if you have a thousand people, you would go 10 to 15 and see who, what the open rate was. Yep. And then maybe change your header, change some of the body copy and then, and then try it again. And, I guess you can never stop sampling. No, you, you can never stop sampling. Like, uh, so I started my career actually as an email marketer um, for a company that was sending out 200,000 to a million emails a day. Wow. So right out of fresh out of university, my first job is to basically make the profitability of the company mm-hmm. because my emails was the most, my emails were the most important channel. Um, so if I did a good email campaign that day, we would make a million dollars in profit. If I had a bad email campaign that day, we might lose 200 grand. So big swing, no pressure, <laughs> no, no pressure at no. all. Um, but what I found was I was constantly testing. That's why that's where I developed the continuous optimization is we would just have this constant work of always testing 200 people, always testing 200 people, no matter what I'm doing and how tried and true a process was always test. And what about humor? Because, uh, you know, humor is one of those great mm-hmm. bridge and transition pieces for a lot of people. And, you know, I've read studies where if if somebody smiles or even laughs, and I'm not saying you have to be Seinfeld, but it's it's actually telling you there's uh, implicit trust mm-hmm. as far as me smiling at what you said or giggling or whatever. Now, email is obviously you can't see reactions or you shouldn't be able to. Yep. Um, and that, that's got to be tougher. So is humor more of a, it's got to be a double-edged sword. Okay. Um, humor I found is really important in outbound sales or not really important. If it, if it's to the right audience and you can do it well, Mm -hmm. um, it is so impactful on getting. So in, in, as an example, um, when you're doing a cold call, uh, this is an interesting stat. You have seven seconds to earn the trust and earn the right to that phone call. So if you think about it, how quickly when somebody calls you out of the blue, do you make the decision to hang up or say, no, I'm not interested or what have you? 
it's within seven seconds. If if I hear a one second delay and mm-hmm. then a click, mm-hmm. then they're they're done. They're done in the water because that's obviously that's an international call. Or it's a dialer. It's an auto dialer, right? Right. Either way, you know that it's a it's a call you don't want, right? Yeah. Um, but there are amazing cold callers. Like I've coached thousands of, of outbound people um, over the course of the last uh, my my career, I guess. And um, there are some people who just know how to right off the top just get you hooked. Really? Yes. So boiler room type people. A hundred percent. Like except. <laughs> without the boiler room without without the yeah that stuff um no but they uh there are people that can literally like i did um i did a live coaching call uh, event uh earlier this year with um with a guy i know colin mitchell he's a genius cold caller very switched on business owner and he literally picks up his business puts it on his back every day and pushes it to success um if you met him you would know why, why my admiration is so high but uh I did a live coaching call with him on LinkedIn Live with thousands of people watching, with him cold calling and me giving him coaching tips on how to cold call. Really? Yeah, it was really cool. You might be able to see it on my LinkedIn profile if you check it out. But um, what was neat about it was that Colin is really good. He's got a great radio voice. He's got a great, like, he sounds good when you talk to him. Mm -hmm. He sounds like somebody you would trust, and he has the perfect way of changing his pitch, his tone, to match what you're, what you, what is necessary for the call. Um, so um, needless to say, he was a very good student. <laughs> okay. Um, so we tested several things. Some was humor. Um, one was what we call falling on the sword. So something like, Hey Rick, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to level with you. This is a cold call. Um, if you want to roll the dice, uh, give me two minutes. I'll tell you why I called and why I think you, sh- you will actually care. Really? Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Yeah. Because that's honesty too. It's honesty, right? I do like it when they say, "Listen, if if I don't have something happening today, uh, probably not going to be here tomorrow." If you know what I mean, yeah. uh, g- give me a minute. And you know what? I I actually like it. And as someone who I've always loved the space of uh, training, development, and uh, and just making people grow through sales. Yeah. And anyone who says they're not in sales, <laughs> you're selling ideas all the time. I don't yeah. care who you are. Mm-hmm. And I always love it when I'm sold to and someone's just a great professional and they seem to just, you know, they, they grip you right away. And it was a Eddie Bauer store in, in Seattle. I was there on business and I, I didn't want to talk to anybody and I was wandering around and this guy, I swear to God, looked like Santa Claus and he was wearing this leather satchel and he was just showcasing this handbag or whatever. And he walked over and he goes, uh, Hey, how's it going? And I said, good i'm just i'm just here looking he goes okay okay and then he wandered back and then he came next to me and and was he was doing something but he said uh are you here for business or, or pleasure and i was like oh man that's a good question that's a like in my head that's a great question i said you know i'm here in business he goes oh are, are you here with this convention and i said no 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 not <laughs> none of that and and he he engaged me and mm-hmm. it was he was really tough to shut down mm-hmm. and i ended up buying these these shirts from him mm-hmm. and buying that bag he was walking around with and 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 I, I i said to him listen i gotta tell you i'm profoundly impressed with your salesmanship and he says oh great turns out x like a vice president of boeing mm-hmm. in seattle got bored he had his buyout he had lots of money but he says i, I fundamentally got bored looked at alcoholism 
and then decided I should probably be around more people. And it was just a cool experience because I could tell there's certain people that have that in, inner confidence, that yep. inner ego yep. to just blast through any issues. Yeah. And he was that guy. Tenaciousness. It's, it's a level of confidence. It's a level of um, cur- courage, mm-hmm. in all honesty. Um, one of my colleagues, I'm, I'm thinking of investing in a company uh, right now, kind of in the outbound space. And, Second uh, slumber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I look like a dragon? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's uh, uh, these, um, they call it courage calls. So mm. it's not cold calls, it's courage calls. It's just, you, you know, that mindset, that mentality. Yes. Putting yourself in there, I'm going to be brave today and I'm going to make an impact on my business today. Right. right? So like, uh, again, all the business owners listening out there, um, you're doing something courageous every single day. Mm-hmm. But, but most of you hate cold calling, hate getting cold calls, hate the concept of even talking about it. So reframe it in your brain. Think of this phrase, courage calls. And that's what you need to do. And it is truly amazing. I used to do a ton of social media, a ton of inbound marketing for my business. And I had referrals all over the place. But then I found that the businesses I want wanted, um, I could call them up in 30 seconds and I could get them on the phone and I could be sitting at coffee with them tomorrow. Um, so instead of me spending hours a day doing all these other activities, I would spend, uh, I'd have what's called pipeline day or power hours. I have two different names depending on the company. Um, but pipeline day, I'd sit there for three hours on a Thursday morning and I'd just make my cold calls, make my cold emails, my cold, um, LinkedIn outreaches, and I would have a full pipeline by the next week. So we're going to dive into the, the LinkedIn concept with you. Cause I think mm-hmm. this is going to be a fun, uh, little thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's, uh, let's pay for some stuff here. Um, do you have print needs for your business? The D6 Print Studio. I don't know what the D stands for. Probably doing it very well six times over. No, I, I, I'm just making that up. Uh, the Print Studio on Lucky uh, has large format printers to service your every need. I saw them doing, a, I think, a five-ton truck in there the other day. Really well done. And the font, amazing. Um, Kelowna Now is running its annual auction right now. Find it at KelownaNow.com. The auction, Jeff, you love auctions. I, I love bet. auctions. Okay, and and how do auctions work? What do you do? You do you wait till the end or do you bid early? What do you do? Well, I bid early and often. Good, <laughs> yes. good, because because you seem like one of those guys that would just like jump in on an oh. auction. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No, I I had one guy who had a condition where um, he, like he had a little jerky movements, and he we were driving by an auction house, and he said, "Yeah, I can never go in there." <laughs> Okay, so uh, back in a moment with more uh, Jeff Swan. Okay, so uh, you were talking about the LinkedIn, and and I've recently, maybe, perhaps, you're talking to a premium member here, Jeff. Mm, okay? I see. I That's, see. You know, you made, the, you made the plunge. <laughs> I've uh, I've raised my station in life, and yep. a lot of people I think are on uh, LinkedIn. Maybe don't know all of the capacity and all mm-hmm. the different things that you can do on LinkedIn. So it sounds like we have a LinkedIn expert in our, in the house. I would say so. I'd, I'd like to, uh, yeah, just try and figure out, is there any kind of system you use? Like if you're a, a young business or, or even a business that's established, what different things should people be looking at LinkedIn for right. and, and how can they utilize it better? Yeah, so I'll go back to what I was talking about is the, the different channels of marketing and how I look at it. I look at it as you have probably 13, 14 different channels where your audience hangs out every day. 
Um, they're going on Instagram for one thing, TikTok on another for another, and then LinkedIn on another. They're the same person with the same needs and the same relationship to your business, but the way they communicate on LinkedIn is different. Even their profile pictures are different, right? Like their their Facebook profile might be uh, them surfing or something like that. No, on, on LinkedIn, I have a shirt on. Yeah. The, okay. Yeah, hundred percent. There you go. There yeah. you go. So yeah. that that is advised. Shirts on <laughs> on LinkedIn. Okay. Tarps on. Tarps okay. on. <laughs> um, so it's it's more professional. It's more about the business side of things. You can be more blunt. You can be more specific. Um, what I find, I learned from one of my really good colleagues, and I teach this to my students. Um, it's a hook story call to action. So if you think about how you're posting is, is always provide value every single day with every post that you do. Um, there's consistency, which is number one. You want to post on a regular basis, be that every day, three times a day, once a week, once a month, doesn't matter. Consistency is key because you want the audience to be waiting for it, anticipating it, expecting it. When Once you have that audience sitting there waiting for your post to drop at Thursday morning at 9 a.m., uh, you know, Pacific time or whatever, that's when you know you have it down. That's when you know your content is getting, uh, getting liked, shared, commented, that kind of stuff. I always recommend when you're posting to give some type of community engagement. So ask a question, uh, put the link to what you're doing in the comments, you know, just get somebody to be looking at that comment section after they read what you're, what you say. But, but make the question smart though. Like yeah. I, some people, I, I know they're following a guidebook. Yep. When I see a question about something like, should I use like this font or this font for my email? And I'm like, are we really doing this? Like it, there's sometimes when, you, you know, mm -hmm. and, and there's good questions yep. and there's bad questions, yep. but, but yeah, further to your point. Yeah. Well, you're touching on the creativity process now. It's not enough to just post. So um, there's another colleague that I have. He, he runs a company called Brand30. So he just teaches people to do 30 posts in 30 days. And it's to it's kind of like a boot camp. You know, you're getting started. You're building those muscles of posting every day. Most people start off with the worst post possible. But it's okay because then that disappears from the feed. And then the next day you get better. And the next day you get better. So, like, remember, this is not a billboard on highway 97 where everybody sees it and everybody talks about it okay this is something that post goes on a feed three people see it at first and then it disappears and nobody's looking at it again unless they're stalking your profile which is them trying to sell you something or whatever but that's a very different thing um so you have to remember be again courage it's it's courage it's understanding that you're putting yourself out there you're being vulnerable you need to be real and, and align it to yourself and your stories. Um, if you're speaking someone else's story, like you're promoting your business because your boss says so, it will show. It will show up as inauthentic. And I've had this question before of employees of other companies where they go, well, it doesn't really help me to, to post or be creative or do anything else because I'm working for somebody else. And, and I push back on that and say, well, listen, if you're the one posting, it's your byline, mm -hmm. that does increase your profile, doesn't it? Well, it increases everything, increases your profile, it increases your wage on that next job or the next promotion. It, in, it raises your ability to negotiate in your business, right? And not just negotiate for a raise, but I'm talking negotiate for a great assignment or a corner office or what have you. You having the clout makes everything easier. You're more likely to be the person chosen for the conferences because more people know you. You're more likely to be effective when you're there 
because even if you're in sales, marketing, support doesn't matter. You're going to have better conversations that lead to better outcomes. You're also going to be the one that people buy drinks for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk about that open bar thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or take for dinner or lunch. They just want to pick your brain. So you have a richer life. Even if all the other things, the promotions and all those other things don't happen, you'll have a richer life because you're building yourself a community. A community that makes your job and your life better. And I think that's a compelling reason to do so. I I mean, certain people obviously don't want to put themselves out there, and I get that. Mm -hmm. There's introverts and extroverts in in every kind of business. But I I do think fundamentally, if you have a voice or you have a particular passion to share that. But I think on LinkedIn, you do have to have that business mindset. You You can't go too far into the fact that you love surfing. Like, no. I just don't think that has a place on a LinkedIn. It, it doesn't. It has a, a minor place. Like I have a content calendar that I give to my to my students of like topics and, and, and the way that it that your month should look. Right. Like do do this on the first Monday, do this on the next Monday, that and that. And, and it just throughout the month, it tells your whole story. So pretty much every month you're telling your whole brand story over and over again in a different way. But again, with creativity, with unique questions, with thought provoking concepts, that kind of stuff. Um, and so you actually go through this and it, by, by, you know, the end of probably the second week, you already have people waiting for your content and talking about it. Um, so with that said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a step back and, and rejig what I said earlier. I purposely stopped on LinkedIn this year because I had some really big projects that I'm working on and the transition over to Business Finders Canada is one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, also, my story is changing so that the, the story I'm, I'm sharing with the market, the, the, the value I'm sharing with the market is uh, it's not changing completely or fundamentally what I offer, it's, change, it's, it's adding a new feature. So now not only am I helping people build value for their businesses so that they, they have a, a bigger valuation, and higher probable selling price. That's what I've been doing for 17 years <laughs> with 62 right. companies, right? Um, now I'm also helping them get that next round of funding, you know, get that investor that they're looking for. I'm also helping them sell when it's time for them to, you know, move on to that next stage of life, whether it's a new project or going surfing in, in Tofino or whatever, doesn't really matter. Um, and it's also for those entrepreneurs that, you know, follow my content, like my work, like how I build value and they want to get in the business game too. It it makes sense that you, again, are, are just trying to refine it so Mm -hmm. that you can share that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. What I'm struggling with at times and, and I, uh, taught at the Okanagan school of business and it was a great year and, and I really enjoyed it. What, what kind of bugged me and this is my OCD creeping up on me was spelling grammar and like there's functions out there mm-hmm. that will check your grammar, check your spelling. Yep. And all you have to do is spend some time on that. And it always threw me when I got something that was very little content, very little structure. And it seemed like they didn't care. And I, would you suggest to people like proofread? Like, is there somebody to proofread? Cause that fundamentally shows me how much that expert or consultant is worth if they can't create a good message. No, hundred percent. But there's, there's this balance, right? There's authenticity and there's, and there's professionalism. You do have to have a level of both to be successful in on LinkedIn. Okay. And just in business in general, you have to have a level of both, but when you're on social media, authenticity is number one. So if that means you, you have colorful language or punctuations problems or things like that, that can work for you if it fits your brand story. 
Okay. All caps. It can. It can. Really? There's a there's a guy oh. out there who's making millions on TikTok where he just posts his reactions to things. I don't even believe he talks. He just has facial expressions. Oh, the black dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kwame or whatever his yeah, name yeah. is. That's like that's his entire brand of just looking, okay? So you can make these things work and it depends on what your business is. Right. So I don't like to say blanket that that's important, but I can tell you Grammarly is cheap. You can get it for free on the most part. Okay. And it will tell you how to do everything you need to do. And yeah. if, if you don't, if you don't have that, get Microsoft word. If you don't have that, use Google sheets, or Google docs. Okay. They all have a spell check, a grammar check. And if you, if you're doing that, try write your post, pop it into word, check those squiggly lines and fix them all and pop it back in. Okay. And and I do like the, when people throw in a little bit of slang because then mm-hmm. speaking to your authenticity part, mm-hmm. that to me says, okay, this person actually did uh, write that because I've heard them say that, or I, you know, I know enough about their brand that they would actually say something like that. Like, it seems like that can be a powerful hinge for somebody that's trying to create some effective messaging. hundred percent. And, and so this, this now I'm going to, break the mold of the, Whoa, uh, of is the that a, okay. I'm going to break the mold. You so son of a gun. I'm going to be a real estate broker who actually is completely a hundred percent going to be honest here is that I don't know everything. <laughs> what? Yep. Seriously. I'm brand new in the business. So I'm not, I'm not going to be shy about that, but I do have, you know, 17 years working with business owners. Um, I know exactly what they need and I know exactly what makes them tick. And, uh, I know, and I'm going to share my story as I'm learning, as I'm growing, as I'm becoming the person that I know I'm going to be in a year's time. Um, and I'm not going to be the person who uh, pretends he knows mm-hmm. and then, you know, gets you in trouble and, you know, makes you lose money or anything like that. I'm going to be a person that's going to make sure I have a great team of experts around me um, at Business Finders, my entire career of people that I've worked with. Um, I regularly talk to other business owners about, and, and I, you know, I was telling you uh, earlier about the brain trust, mm-hmm. you know, I meet every Friday, uh, after work at, uh, at my buddy's shop at Tempest Aviation on enterprise. Um, nice we, building by the way, it's a great building. It's a fantastic building. And we, we sit with other business owners. So from at four o'clock, um, everybody, anybody listening, reach out to me if you want to go, I'll, I'll, I'll get you, send you an invite. Um, but we talk about business and we, we share and we learn from each other. And so right now I'm on a mission. I'm talking to every business owner I can. I'm talking to every aspiring business owner and I want to learn what they're looking for. I'm not taking what, you know, we, I, like I said, I have a lot of experts and a lot of people I trust to tell me what I need to know, but that's not me. I need to talk to the people I need to understand. So again, if anybody's listening, I want to talk to you. If you've, you own a business, you want to own a business you're run a business and sold it before. I want to learn your story so that me, I can be the best I can be for this, this community. Um, cause, and, uh, anybody who knows me for more than 30 seconds knows that I do not ever give up. Um, I will be the best that I can be for this community and, uh, I won't stop until it happens. It's good though that, you know, you fundamentally say like, listen, there's a lot I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something I've learned over the years is, you know, charisma gets you so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets you in the door, perhaps. But mm-hmm. then being able to fundamentally say to someone, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but let me find out. Mm-hmm. And I will get you, you know, a couple of different options. If those don't work for you, let's let's talk again. And I think in today's day and age, and I sound older when I say that, but I am. But 
it, it's really important, I think, sometimes to say, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I'm going to find out. Mm-hmm. And, and those people I have a lot of time for because that's authenticity, that's trust, and that's the willingness to go further. Like, it's always easy to just rapid fire answers. And I've actually started doing this with my wife, which was, if I answer that question, it will be a lie because I actually don't know. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And she appreciates it. She appreciates that. She's like, Mm -hmm. okay, okay. Because, you know, but it's easier to just give a a flip answer and then walk away and go, okay, that's done. Now that may probably not work, but Mm -hmm. fundamentally I, I did give an answer. So I do appreciate when people say, I'm going to do uh, right by you, which Mm -hmm. is digging a little bit deeper, not taking a shallow dive and actually finding out the answer. Cause I, I think there's uh, a lot of room for that. Yeah, when, and, and think about it. Like I've worked with 62 companies, 62 business owners. And do you think I was an expert in uh, SMS texting in Croatia or, um, I don't know, like uh, digital asset management out of London? Uh, like I wasn't the expert. I had to lean on them to give me the proper information so that I could help them grow their business. Right. So I trust the business owners I'm working with. I trust them to be experts in their craft and they trust me to be an expert in my craft. And that is finding in whatever situation, whatever market, whatever language, whatever culture, I find the success formula because that's what I do. And and it's going to be tougher at times because it goes back to that trust aspect, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, do you trust me to give me the answers I need? Because I found a lot of business owners are like, it's like a firewall. They won't give you everything Mm -hmm. because they feel like, okay, if I give that to you, you might know something about me that I don't want you to know. Yeah. And, and, and that's how, in all honesty, um, that's the real value that somebody like, uh, somebody like a good business broker is going to provide a good consultant is going to provide. Um, they're going to allow you to trust them with what is most important in your life. This could be somebody who's built their business over 30 years and is now looking to retire. And our success is the, is the difference between them retiring here in the same house they've lived in forever or in a villa in France or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right? Like that's, that's a, like the, the impact we have on their, their lives. It's so important. They have to trust us. So in that respect though, they have to trust us to be open and to be vulnerable and to share things they normally would never share because when they do, they're going to get significant more value out of the process. Right. And I'm not talking just a higher price here. Like no, higher price no. doesn't always mean good. You must have to sign NDAs all Absolutely. the time. Complete yeah. confidentiality. We even have a system that, um, when I send you an email with information, mm-hmm. it doesn't send you the, the information. It sends you a link to access it in a secured server that has a time limit delay. So like you can read a document like a, I don't know, like a financial statement. You can read that, but you can't download it, print it, share it, like all those things because it's secure. And and I think that's key because uh, I've, I've heard enough to be dangerous about, you know, business brokering. And, and the fact is... If you show up at a business with a logo on your vehicle, mm-hmm. uh, it sends terror through a whole bunch of things. So you've mm-hmm. got key suppliers, key employees, mm-hmm. like it just sends a shutter through the whole organization. Nobody likes change. No. So there's that. But I think also too, a lot of people don't understand that 
I, I think to be good at selling your business, you have to actually talk to an expert, a third party, mm-hmm. to get a validation on what should I be doing now to make my business more valuable in the future. And that could be a number of different things, which is securing contracts, the legal, the accounting we talked about. But it it, it does make sh- it, it it actually is like a, a starch test. You have to know. Well, I think it's I think my business is really valuable. Well, to prove that to someone, and that's what I had to do in Dragon's Den, we yep. had to prove it within, well, the shoot was about 45 minutes, but within about four or five minutes, mm-hmm. they have to have a very functional understanding of your business or you get blown out of the den. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and yep. it's so quick too. Like that was the other thing is the people that pitched before us were the guys blown with the out. Signs. They were, <laughs> yeah. were blown out in four minutes and, yep. and they don't even know what they didn't, like why they missed the mark. Yeah. And I think it's scalability. Can I walk into this business? Can I make an impact? Does does the market, uh, is it going to be global? Is it going to be international? Is it going to be local, regional? And so they're, these investors who are very savvy investors, they, they really want that quick, okay, where's this going to land? Can mm-hmm. people live without it? And, and does it have a buying cycle that I can get behind? Like, is it a week, two weeks? Does people need this every month? Like, there's a whole bunch of things, and that's why we cater to that. But it took it took the validation of us uh, rehearsing our pitch with MBAs and, mm-hmm. and business owners and people that literally would rip us apart because you need that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I think a good business broker would do is is really test the metal of, of any company. A hundred percent. And, and the way, uh, starting out of the gates, I'm going to tell you that I, I, I do feel confident in one thing I can read through a uh, go to market strategy and understand if it's going to win or not. And that's something that, um, I find is so helpful in valuating businesses. Um, cause I, I've run a lot of businesses in my life. I call myself a forex entrepreneur, whatever that means. Um, but, uh, um, but one thing I've noticed is that a lot of people come to me and they ask me for my help early on in their process and they'll say, I'll give you equity. You know, I'll add, add you as an advisor on the company, that kind of thing. And I have to evaluate like I'm an investor because I'm going to be investing my time, my energy, um, my, you know, things I've learned or whatever. And so I look at it as like, is this go-to-market strategy possible? Is it scalable? Um, is it feasible to be, uh, to actually bring value to the market for a long term? Um, and I've said that a lot today, so I'm just going to describe like the value to the market I see is that every business provides value in their community, even if it's a completely for-profit business, because it's the place where they get their breakfast or their dinners, or it's the place where they get their tires changed. It's something that when they find somewhere they can trust, then everybody's lives are just that little tiny bit better every day from a good, well-run business. I, I, I do think anyone who has a BS detector is really important too in business because mm-hmm. uh, anytime somebody sits down and, and tells me something that I don't, now I don't want to offend, but mm-hmm. I also want to say, I don't know where you get that number from, yeah. but I, I really can't, in my knowledge, in my experience, I just don't know if that's substantial or I don't know if I can back that up. And and I tell people that in the kindest way I can. Yep. But I do think people appreciate it when you stand up and say, I I actually can't understand why you would say that. So yep. can can you help me understand? Maybe I'm missing something. Yep. But I love it when consultants or anybody that's that's looking to help a company stand in there because 
you know, some companies have yes people that, mm-hmm. that just sit around and say, no, absolutely, boss, that's the way to go mm-hmm. because you said it. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I love it when somebody stands up and says, you know what? Um, I don't think so. And, and, and here's why. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can convince me otherwise. And those are the consultants I think people can rally behind. Yeah. And, and those are the consultants that, again, provide impact and value for their for their customers. They don't just collect billings and, and walk into their fancy cars and their expensive vacations. It's really important to provide value in, in, a, in a service like mine. Um, and what I find is um, one of the key indicators that I like to do, there's this, this interesting process, is that you see when you're in this in the tech world a lot of people love their spreadsheets and their projections right and they say okay we're just gonna grow by 10 percent. so we'll put 10 percent in the formula mm-hmm. and then they'll watch oh my look at this by october we're gonna be a million dollars and like whatever else they get super excited and then you go okay so where is this 10 percent month over month growth coming from is it because your branding is amazing but you don't have a marketer mm-hmm. <laughs> right you only have a salesperson salesperson's not going to help your brand right? They might hurt it at, at first because they don't know how to provide value. They're testing and they're, you know, the message that they're out there is not concise. It's not refined, right? So they might hurt your brand more at the beginning than help it. So it, maybe it's not the brand, right? Is it the salespeople? Okay. So can one outbound salesperson, the average, um, the average, uh, number of meetings booked by an, uh, an outbound agent is about eight to 13, eight to, or sorry, eight to 12 meetings per month. Hmm. Okay. So if you look at that, I get, eight, let's say 10, 10 is an easy number. I get 10 cold call booked email, uh, book meetings. Usually they're more exploratory. They're people that you're kind of getting not at the right time because you're going to them. They're not coming to you. So it's a longer sales cycle now. So you have to expect add another month to your three month sales cycle. So now you're looking at four months potential until you're going to close revenue for these people. So you have 10 of those, uh, 10 of the, the meetings turn into seven sales opportunities. Those seven sales opportunities at a low closing ratio when you're starting might be two of those seven will close in four months. Okay. So you have to work your butt off to get 10 meetings every month to close two every month, four months down the road. So now take those projections of that fancy spreadsheet of the 10% mm-hmm. and cut it down with what you can afford, what you can do and all those things. And so once you actually start breaking it up and doing the math and, and looking at where it comes from, you can actually have realistic numbers that allow you to make good decisions that make a consistent impact and you always feel good about yourself. You're not constantly looking at it like, well, my spreadsheet said this and now here's where I am. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So now your spreadsheet has more info that makes sense. Yeah, and that that sounds like a a goal-setting exercise where people say, I want to lose weight. Okay, well, how are you going to do that? Well, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start working out. Okay, well, then, then what? Well, diet and, you know, you, you start to break it down into yep. bite-sized chunks mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, you know, you're losing a pound a week or two pounds, which is sustainable for some people and okay. then you're, you're off to the races. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, Jeff, this has been a hoot. Mm-hmm. We're uh, running out of time. So mm-hmm. I have to say thank you. I know you got a lot on your plate, so I'll leave it leave it there. But man, lots of good content today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Rick. This is a great conversation. I'll, I'll always talk business. <laughs> okay. Well, then uh, we'll get you back on. Thanks so mm-hmm. much, Jeff Swan. Mm-hmm.